A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Morning to you and while we're talking about a reasonably warm day today, if you are heading away on your holidays and you're leaving the country, Irish holidaymakers have been advised to avoid the dangers of being out in the midday sun and out in the hot weather as temperatures across Europe are going to soar this week. The high temperatures are thought to last just a few days and they're expected in particular to um, affect France as well as part of Belgium, Luxembourg and the Netherlands and the France are really in the grip of this uh, heat wave. They're expecting temperatures there to go over 40 degrees by tomorrow. We're here at home. The kind of general advice is bring the sun hat and the sunscreen. You go nowhere without the sunscreen, but have the brolly. Bring the umbrella with you as well because there is a low pressure system which is going to move in today and that's going to generate the odd shower. But the good news is it's also going to generate some good sunny spells. Now the mercury won't go anywhere near the 25.7 degrees. That was the high yesterday. Now it was up the north of the Donegal I think was the place that got the highest um, temperatures yesterday but it is going to be very warm very pleasant over the next few days that is according to Met Aaron but it will be mixed with uh, some showers and climate change the climate change could have a very serious threat to our health here in this country obviously things like increasing the risk of skin cancer also premature deaths if we get very extreme cold snaps and because of that a discussion document from the Department of Health is setting out the kind of wild weather and far-reaching different scenarios that could come to this country with global warming. And the public were now being invited to take part in a consultation process on climate change, which is going to run until the end of August. The Health Minister, Simon Harris, is saying his department is preparing a five-year plan for climate change from a health sector point of view. He said there's a range of climate change scenarios that we need to assess. Things like the UV radiation from sun exposure that, of course, would lead to more skin cancers. There's things like air pollution, the effect of wind storms, effect of stream heat and heat waves, um, things like flooding. And then obviously in the winter months, we can have extreme cold snaps. Ireland will particularly be the victim of weather extremes if dire predictions about climate change materialises. Not only will our summers be scorching, leaving us a greater danger of developing skin cancer or dying from the heat, but plummeting winter temperatures then could kill more vulnerable people who suffer from heart disease and respiratory illnesses. And this public consultation process uh, 
is open from now until the end of August and if you'd like to have your say on climate change you can contact the Department of Health you can physically post them your submission or you can email ccap at health.gov.ie and it needs to be in by the 25th of August you're very welcome to the programme John Paul is back in the hot seat back from his holidays looking wonderful and relaxed for somebody who staycationed this year and he's come back with a fine tan that he always he always does but it's uh, interesting to see on a staycation that he could pick up as good a tan that he would have picked up if he was anywhere on the continent so he's back taking your calls this morning if there's anything you want to share with us 1850-333-103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and I can already see some WhatsApps coming in about Boris Johnson and we made the announcement that Boris Johnson is to become the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. We made it towards the close of the programme yesterday and I couldn't get over the number of comments. We instantly got in from people who saw it as a very bad news story when I was breaking the news that Boris is the new PM of the UK. And he, all over the papers today, obviously, lots and lots of column inches on Boris Johnson. The UK uh, leaders straight away out of the blocks warning Boris Johnson that the withdrawal agreement is the only path to an orderly Brexit when he takes up the role as Prime Minister today. He, Boris Johnson, did receive widespread congratulations after his resounding victory in the Conservative Party uh, leadership when he got widespread congratulations in political circles. I would have advised him not to go on anywhere near Twitter. The amount of comments that was put up on social media yesterday, negative and derogatory comments about Boris Johnson, it nearly caused the internet to explode. Sources in the Irish government say they want to be pragmatic about the situation after the incoming Prime Minister used his first speech to again promise he will lead the UK out of the EU on October 31st. So he has a hundred days to do it. Our own Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, intends to keep his early conversation with Mr Johnson. Um, uh, He's going to keep it focused on issues such as Brexit, Northern Ireland and bilateral relationships. Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin last night claimed that Boris Johnson has failed to show the slightest level of understanding about the impact of Brexit on the island of uh, Ireland. And then looking across Europe, the EU chief Brexit negotiator, Michael Barnier, he says he looks forward to working, I'm sure he does, constructively with Mr Johnson to facilitate the ratification of the withdrawal agreement and to achieve, he said, an orderly Brexit. That's what it's all about. The French President uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, and the future head of the European Commission, Ursula van der Leyen, both congratulated Mr Johnson on becoming Britain's next Prime Minister. Although a key Macron ally warned Boris Johnson the EU would not budge on Brexit. And this is where the game is really going to uh, play out. And, And obviously from an Irish point of view, we're very much worried about the border. And when you look back at some of the commentary that has come from Boris Johnson's lips, you kind of worry slightly about this man and the way he thinks and what he sees as possible solutions. I found a piece, for example, which would have been early last year 
where Boris Johnson was being asked about Irish border and checkpoints and having checks at the border. And he suggested that it could be managed in a similar way to how London administered the congestion charge. He says there's no border between Camden and Westminster. And yet he says, when I was mayor of London, we invisibly took hundreds of millions of pounds from the accounts of people travelling between those two boroughs without any need for border checks whatsoever. So he's kind of thinking that if we could some way do it like the way they pick up the congestion charge. Just a bizarre, bizarre suggestion. And then the pound enjoyed a fleeting bar response yesterday after the unveiling of the new Tory party leader. But then it quickly returned to a slump again. And some of the, it, it ended up trading last night at 89 Point six four. It's getting very close to the 90p mark. And some economists are saying that it will continue to slide particularly over the summer months. And by the end of the summer, the euro uh, could be at 92p, which obviously is great news for anybody who is going to the United Kingdom or is dealing in uh, sterling. But it certainly is bad news for some businesses who are selling into the country. 1850-333-103. Michael has been in early on. Uh, this says, uh, Patricia, hi. Uh, as it is including the... As it is, as it is, including the UK wakes up this morning with a bigger headache than ever. And now the bar, now the Boris Johnson is elected to number 10 as Prime Minister. A man that doesn't give two hoots about Ireland, north or south, likewise doesn't give a hoot about Scotland or Wales. He has no policy. As a matter of fact, the UK does not have a policy at the moment, only a slogan. Boris, Boris, Boris. It brings me back to a time when the country was in a similar situation. It was up dev, up dev, up dev. Boris Johnson is so deceitfully immature, a willful, ignorant individual. So he is going to become UK PM. This load of bull is only going to go on with what he is going to energise the UK is the most serious load of bull to come out of him yet. I have learned, I learned last night that he hired a top executive from a very large company in England as his advisor. All the waffle about him being intelligent. I wouldn't agree with that as he has no idea of where he wants to go or how to get there. And this notion of energising the UK is all a hogwash. To be a successful PM, you have to be politically intelligent. He runs with the hair and he chases with the hounds. He will fall on his own sword. That will happen very quickly if he comes back from Brussels empty-handed. The sound bite days are gone. The British people put him there and we have to respect that very, very ordinary day, extraordinary days and weeks ahead. Thanking you, uh, says Michael. When you say the British people put him there, that's one of the things that I, I was seeing on, on Twitter. You know, people were saying, I never voted for this man to be my Prime Minister. I know we vote for our politicians and then it's up to the politicians to decide who will PM but there would be a very small group of people would have voted only the people in his constituency would have voted for Boris so I saw trending yesterday not my PM and I'm wondering would that take off but there were some people saying that he's not he's not my Prime Minister and I do think you're right I think the big I, I don't know if you're right about him not being intelligent he is by all accounts a very intelligent man but I don't know you're probably right though is he politically intelligent it's that he doesn't have a plan seems to be would be my main concern 
if he was very focused and had a plan, even if it was a plan that we didn't agree with, at least you'd say he's trying and he has a plan. But I think, yeah, I think that is the big, big worry. The man doesn't seem to have any plan. You would just hope that he surrounds himself a little bit like, remember the Yes Prime Minister programme that we all laughed at? You would hope that he surrounds himself by people who do know what they're doing and will hopefully be able to steer the United Kingdom towards an orderly uh, Brexit only time will tell but it is very worrying times indeed 1850-333-103 also worrying times in this country for anybody involved in the leisure industry we spoke about this yesterday with the Alliance for Insurance Reform when the news broke that the last insurance company they were a UK based insurance company and they provide insurance for the leisure industry for the likes of the bouncy castles and the indoor play centres and the outdoor adventure uh, centres and now there's a big question mark over these companies going forward. They can't open unless they have insurance for fear that somebody puts a claim in uh, against them and now we know that this company is not taking any new business and won't be renewing premiums so what happens when the premium runs out? We'll speak with one local business owner uh, about what's that's the dilemma they're facing in that their insurance is about to run out where do they go uh, from here we're going to be chatting with Board Bia who are trying to make potatoes cool for the younger generation it's younger adults the millennials uh, for some reason are not as into potatoes as the older generation the potato has been the stable diet of this country for many many a generation and there are some people I imagine listening who every single day of the week have potatoes I mean certainly when I was growing up there was not a day where you didn't have a potato in some sort be it boiled mashed the lovely roasties that you have on a Sunday or, or chips Whatever it was, you had potatoes every single day of the week. And I imagine there's probably still people who still do that. But that's not what the younger generation are doing. The millennials are into quinoa and they're into brown rice and they're into pasta. And they just don't think the potato is that cool. So I'm bored. We are trying to do something about it because potatoes, by all accounts, are very good. I think they've got a bad rep. I think potatoes have got this image of being fattening as well and by all accounts they're not so we're going to talk about potatoes today on the programme and your thoughts welcomed are you a daily spud eater would there be would you not feel that you didn't have your dinner unless there was a couple of potatoes on the plate or have you also moved away from potatoes your thoughts welcomed on that should Cove erect a statue to the boxer and he was a singer and he was a film star uh, Jack Doyle the man of course who ended up dying penniless in London and then it was the good people of Cove who got together wasn't it and they fundraised to bring him back so that he wouldn't be buried in a pauper's grave in London so he was well respected in Cove but then of course allegations of domestic violence now he was never charged but there had been and if you read any article about Jack Doyle you'll read about these allegations of domestic violence against his wife and against some of his female partners. For that reason, some people feel if because there is this notion that he was a wife beater because of that, then we shouldn't be remembering him, we shouldn't be commemorating him. Should we put that aside and say, well, he was never charged with anything? And should we look at what the man achieved coming from nothing to the dizzy heights that he came to both in the 
boxing world and in the world of show business. We'll hear both sides of that argument on the programme today but your thoughts uh, welcomed. Do you think Jack Doyle should be commemorated in the town of Cove? We'll be giving financial advice in our bi-monthly series with Awalia which is the free mortgage advice service that operates under MABS and today we'll be looking at different case scenarios and and different comments that we've had in from listeners putting their stories out and then getting the legal advice with the financial advisor. And then after half past 12 today, it is Wednesday. What does that mean? It means we turn our attention to gardening and Peter Dowdle will join us. If you have a gardening question, get them in please to us uh, throughout the morning. Some of your comments coming in on Boris Johnson. General theme seems to be, God help us all. Yes, it will be like another edition of uh, Yes, Prime Minister, you are so right. Uh, Patricia uh, Texter says, Boris has a point though. I am sick of rules and regulations from the EU. We can't do this, we can't do that. Why? Because the EU are telling us what to do. Britain leaving the EU will actually damage my business, says this caller, but uh, so I do not want Britain to leave and certainly do not want a disorderly Brexit, but I can see why they do wish to leave. When the EU was first set up, it was for an economic union. That was fine, but it has gone way too far now and it feels at times like the EU is controlling, uh, are trying to control countries and that's why the British people decided to leave and that's from Gary in Cove. Thank you for that, uh, Gary. And on the Jack Doyle statue that we will feature later on in the programme, Siobhan on Twitter at uh, C103Cork says, no statue for any man who treated women poorly. This is a very bad idea. We as women are 51% of the population and we still appear to be fighting for equality. The statue will be a symbol for all those men who want to set us back. So that's Siobhan against the Jack Doyle uh, statue. Yesterday we spoke with the Alliance for Insurance Reform about the fallout from the news that the UK-based insurance provider Leisure Insure will no longer provide insurance in Ireland. The announcement has left many in the leisure industry in the dark, including my next guest, Derek Binchy, who is the Managing Director of Fota Adventure Centre. Good morning to you, Derek. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well. How long have you been a customer of Leisure Insure? We've been with Leisure Insure since 2013. We opened in 2013. And when is your renewal due? Uh, it was due in the middle of April and they gave us an extension. They told us they weren't going to renew, but then they gave us, because we work very closely with O'Leary uh, Insurance, our brokers in town, and they gave us an extension until the 31st of August at a 91% hike. 91%? Yep. Have you claims? Zero. We had a claim in 2014, which was settled um, actually against our wishes. And we had a claim that was rebooked in 2017. So, no. no. The answer is to our new premises in Soul Adventure, we've had absolutely 100% zero claims. So when you were due to renew in April and they said that they would renew, they would give you insurance until the end of August, were you expecting this decision? Uh, yeah, we had no uh, idea of what was happening with Leisure Insure. Um, but we didn't have time to go and look for a new insurer there and then. It was the start of our busy season. We weren't going to risk it. So we just paid the 91%. And again, I talk, I get on very well with our broker. We had him out. We walked through our area. Uh, we have 22 acres in the fantastic photo um, island resort but we did um, a full walkthrough of all of our safety procedures just so he could be informed so when he goes back to the market to try and find 
a new insurer, he knows exactly how safe we are. It's just, it seems incredible that anyone could, any bill could go up by 91%. It's just, it's uh, we double, were, almost double. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, we were caught on the hop because, again, it's the start of our peak season. Our school tours, we get in five, five and a half, six thousand kids yeah. on school tours. Starting in May, we weren't going to go, um, you know, rushing around. We we're going to take the first offer we had because we don't work without insurance. If there's no insurance, we close down. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and an let's be honest, Leisure Insure knew that as well. They did. Um, and when I when I was talking to my broker, he was saying, you know, when it comes to mid-July, or we, we'll start looking out again because when you look for renewal, it's normally only valid for 30 days. So if we start looking in mid-July, we shouldn't have a problem. And to be honest, I've been with him a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll find something. Now, we also have backup plans. There's a new, I was contacted by a new broker yesterday who's looking to bring a new insurer into the market. Great. And I sit on the board of the IEAT and we're trying to put together a group scheme for all of our members. That's um, the Irish Association of Adventure Tourism. That's it, yeah. yeah. So we'd have... Uh, about, how many members would you have in, the, in that well, group? <laughs> tough one to answer because we had about 80, 79, I think. But we're losing in around one a week, wow. and it's not. We're not losing members; they're closing down. And that's they because is that directly because of insurance? That's directly because of insurance. That even if they and can get, even if they can get an offer of insurance, I mean, if it goes up by ninety-one percent, not every business is going to be able to suck up that kind of an increase. They're not going to be able to very, make enough money. Very much so. Very much so. It's a huge factor. It's not that we can trade without or with insurance, but the insurance also has to be reasonable. Outline what your adventure centre provides. You're on 22 acres. We're on 22 acres. We're in the middle of a stunning forest land. And we have survival skills, bushcraft, combat archery. We have an obstacle course. We have human foosball. We have a number of different activities, which we dial up and down the intensity, depending on whether we're dealing with kids, corporates. We won Sports Business of the Year last year for a performance psychology well um, programme. So, you know... We're very progressive in what we do, and that's the lads. The lads are fabulous at what they do. I do the safety side of things, and the safety side of things moves at the same rate. We we had our last audit. Again, it's an internal audit. We get external auditors in to do it. There's no one. There's no requirement for us to do it. It's just good practice. So we had our last one in September. We updated it, or not September, um, the 19th of the 5th, which is uh, May. May. And, which means we've updated our safety statement to match whatever perceived flaws we found um, I mean that's only two months old you know that's how up to date we'd be all Well that's that. how important you take the whole safety side and making sure that nobody gets injured who can possibly go on and make a claim Absolutely but it's more making sure nobody can get injured yeah. the make a claim bit is we deal with that slightly differently but the um, it's make sure nobody gets injured people come here to have fun to have an experience with their family or to bond as a group they don't come here for an injury so mm. we make sure that happens or that doesn't happen basically well done. Well done. And uh, and I, this time of the year, flat out, are you? Yeah, we've uh, we fifty in for summer camps every week, and we have uh, corporate coming in towards the end of every week. And on top of that, then we have uh, stuff at stage blue during this week. We have different groups, summer schemes in. Um, yeah, so we're, this is our peak season. So that was the reason we had to kind of dive at the at any offer of insurance, even though there was ninety one percent. Hike. Now, what I'm hoping is when the new offers come in that they're going to match the original 
what we were on. Not the ninety-one percent one. Not ninety-one percent. Yeah. And what? Okay, talk figures. What? A ninety-one percent increase. What was the? What was the premium? The premium was six, and I went up to we to pay four and a half for the um, the extra three months. That's just crazy. This so it would be nearly twelve thousand for the year. Uh, no, I think it would be around the fourteen thousand. Oh, the, uh, even more. Fourteen and a half thousand for the year. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. From six from six thousand is what you've been paying, and even at six thousand, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. But we've a mobile unit. We go out to um, to schools. You know, we we take our team building and our, our our conference development and kids very 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 seriously. We work with Tusla. We've a, a shoulder to shoulder program with Tusla where we take kids under our wing that are going through a tough time and make them work. Or not make them get them to work alongside us and train alongside us. You know. So it's success, is that successful? It's showing results? 72% is our current rate. Ah. Second to none. But that, if we don't get insurance on the 1st of September, that goes. And then those kids become somebody else's problem. And you are hopeful of getting insurance, but it's got, to be, it's got to be affordable. Yeah, I, I'm confident we live in insurance. I am, I'm, without a shadow of a doubt, um, I have three options available to us. One of them will definitely work. Um, it's about, is it affordable insurance? That's what comes out. God, it's a, it's a constant headache for you, Derek, isn't it? Yeah, look, kind of part and parcel of a business. The thing about it is that the guys who work with us are shareholders as well, so they understand. You know what I mean? It's not just me making decisions. We have our own mini board that makes our decisions on the spot. You know, we go through it. What happens? What's the next step? And we're all 100% agree that we wouldn't touch this place without insurance. Mm. So it's uh, insurance. We have an option A and an option B. How many do you employ? Employ about somewhere between fifteen and eighteen during peak season. Yeah, which is now, see, there's a lot of to, there's a lot of employees in this in all these different. Then know. we're down to four. Um, we're down to four for the winter. Yeah, and there's you know right across the industry though there there are. And if you think about it, there's not a lot of residue as well, um, Patricia. We provide stuff for people on on holidays to do. Yeah. Our sector provides it provided 1.8 billion to the Irish economy last year. Our sector, but if you've nothing to do, tourists aren't going to just come and look at the sites. No, they come for. I mean, they come for sightseeing, but you've got to give them activities. Yeah. So I mean, (laughs) that means tourists to um, tourism Ireland and Falls Ireland will have no nothing to do if we've nothing to do when you get here. Is there anything the government could be doing, Derek, or anything more the government I could be doing? I met with, uh, our, our, the, the board met with um, Minister Darcy and Flanagan a couple of weeks back, and they promised us to have the Judicial Council Bill enacted by the 31st of August, sorry, 31st of July, which it looks like they're going to achieve. Good. And that will give us two things. That first thing is it'll make the Book of Quantum more relevant, which means there will have to be explanations if awards are made outside the book of quantum, right? So that for us, at least it'll tag a value onto an injury. If that's the case, then we can negotiate the injury down afterwards, you know, mm-hmm. further afield. So that, that's one thing. That means the insurers have something they can hang their hat on. They're, you know what I mean? They have a figure that they can try and work out. And the second thing is that it'll um, bring in the legislation about falsifying or exaggerating affidavits. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's, that makes it illegal, which means it makes it a crime, which hopefully should. Well, hopefully, stop fraudulent yeah. crime, go, fraudulent cases going going forward. Do we need a guard of fraud squad? 
dedicated? We do, but without, we do, but without having the rest of the stuff and active. Yeah, there's no point. There's no point. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. One step at a time. You're right. Ideally, if you were looking from our point of view, if you wanted the perfect reform, what we do is remove the no win, no fee from the payment side and mm. put it on to the dependent side. Can you imagine if you had to be 100% sure that you weren't going to, that you were going to win before mm. you took a case and imagine if our defence teams weren't allowed to settle. You know what I mean? If it wasn't mm. in their interest to settle. That to me is a perfect solution but I'm pretty sure it's massively unconstitutional so that's a no-go yeah. I'd imagine. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a great suggestion listen uh, Derek we leave it there um, continue good luck with your uh, company at the Fota Adventure Centre and thanks a million for joining us on the programme today take care thank good you very morning much. to you bye bye Derek Binchy Managing Director of the uh, Adventure Centre in Fota it would be dreadful to see businesses like that, that go they give so much fun and enjoyment and entertainment uh, to young people but though I think the work with Tusna is uh, really interesting as well and and you know Derek is right we need play centres and adventure areas like that for tourists tourists you know there's only so many photographs they can take of what stunning scenery we have we need to be giving them something to do uh, as well so we need to promote and make sure that these companies uh, stay going and don't close and don't close at the rate that they're closing because of insurance over the last couple of years John Paul taking your calls 1850 333 103 C103 Anthems Mornings from 9 and evenings at 7. Cork's Greatest Hits. C103. Well, we've been talking about Boris Johnson and the effect that Boris Johnson as Prime Minister will have on the United Kingdom when it comes to the Brexit negotiations and the effect it will have on Ireland. That's led to some people giving out about the EU. One text says, Patricia, I feel that the EU is a mockery and it is slowly self-destructing. They only seem to want big factory farms and they just want to bring in cheaper workers from outside the EU to do all of the manual work in those farms and then they want to plant forestry on the smaller farms in rural Ireland. That seems to be part of the plan, says a texter. While Mag says this is to do with Germany and Germany running what some feel running the EU. Germany lost two wars. Now it runs Europe and they're managing to do it without a war England simply don't like that and that's the reason that they went for Brexit and Michael says one thing Europe gave us was peace let us not forget that likewise the Good Friday Agreement gave us peace in this country a peace that has saved many a life and I think that's what everybody worries about whenever we talk about a border on this island it's the one thing that I think frightens most people is the thought of going back to what life was like when there once was a border there. 1850-333-103 A multi-million euro campaign has been planned to encourage younger Irish people to eat potatoes, the stable diet for many older people. So to discuss why the humble spud has fallen out of favour by the millennials I'm joined by Lorcan Burke of uh, Board B. Good morning to you Lorcan. Uh, hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm I'm very well. Now we're talking. Uh, the millennials are are people between the ages of eighteen and thirty four. What's their view of potatoes? 
Well, their, their view of potatoes, when you talk to them immediately, is almost an instant one of, oh, I love my spuds, and, uh, which is great. And to be honest, part of this study was we found very little rejection of potatoes. Uh, but what, when we dig, dug into the statistics, or, uh, we, we found that basically they were buying them with a lot less frequency. And uh, but then, so we did further research and we came up uh, w- with conclusions around uh, there was real gaps in their knowledge around uh, particularly the area of health uh, there's, uh, and the health benefits of potatoes. There was gaps in their knowledge about how to use them. Some of them thought that potatoes were just something you put in a pot and looked at for 40 minutes and they, they didn't know how to uh, cook them conveniently or, and then how to cook them and reuse them. And, and prepare them, uh, but the other thing was, but the one thing they all acknowledged was taste, and they loved the taste of of of, of potatoes. But the other thing that was quite interesting in the study was they loved when the potatoes were served to them rather than. Okay, so when when they go home to mammy or daddy and mammy serves up the potato spuds, they're they on, dig in. They yeah. loved it. No rejection there whatsoever. So look, so this campaign really just highlighted. Uh, the fact that we we know that the millennial generation, as a cohort, they are eating differently to previous generations, but they're lo- they're looking for taste, convenience, and health. One of the really, uh, I mean, potatoes do can deliver this. We did a previous campaign on uh, which with 142 different recipes on potato.ie aimed at a different target audience. How, how many and different I'm, recipes? I have 142 recipes and 32 videos on potato.ie. Wow. And they're, see, the, thing, the thing about potatoes, it's very easy to get recipes because they're actually grown in every country in the world. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, um, and they're drawn up into recipes with local vegetables, spices, herbs, whatever. So there was a fundamental perception in Ireland that they're very traditional Irish food. I mean, there's uh, there's a little known association of potatoes with food from South America or food from China, Asia, uh, Africa. I mean, they're literally in every country on the planet. So, what, what, uh, well, I, one of my favourite recipes is a tomato and potato curry. Yeah, and well, it is curries, just uh, we, delicious. Spot on. We've an Indian curry there. We've uh, uh, Sri Lankan curries. We've uh, Thai curries, all up on that website. So, look, it's that type of thing that there are these gaps in their information about uh, how they use them. And then because I guess for for years they've been used in a very traditional way. You boil the potato, you chip them, you roast them. Or, and that's or, it, and you do no and more. that's it. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, so they're out there, they're very well educated, very well travelled. They're looking, uh, looking for the newest, brightest and uh, shiniest thing and that's just the way of the world. And uh, but they're, they're, they don't have the information that actually potatoes are part of this global uh, food culture, you know. So that, I guess that's what the campaign needs, needs mm. to do. Do they that's consider them? Do they consider them good value for money? Oh, always good value for money. Yeah, yeah. We, we never have taste and good value for money are the two big hooks on potatoes, you know. Um, now, the, the convenience thing takes a. a takes issue with a knowledge of preparation and a knowledge of how to cook, save, store. And I mean, <clears throat> you can cook up your potatoes on a Sunday and still ha- be reheating them for two or three days. You know, if mm. you want that element of what could be more convenient, you can get microwavable bags of potatoes now that are steamed in five, ten minutes. You know, so there's all these different ways of, of using them. But uh, 
what we want to do with this campaign, and, and by the way, it's just a campaign that we're, we're, we've proposed uh, to seek funding from the European Union okay. to, uh, with, with, with France and with Belgium, because they have the same issues with millennials oh. uh, in terms of the percep- perception of potatoes around the traditional uses of potatoes. So we'll know in October whether we get uh, the industry will secure the money to take forward this campaign. What we did was put in place research to back up and support uh, um, our application. And, and the other good news, Lorcan, is like is that potatoes are good for you. There's a perception, I think, and, I, and I'm assuming it's amongst the millennials, that, you know, it isn't a healthy food and it's fattening. That's, uh, yeah, we have Aoife Hearn, uh, um, who's the dietitian working as our potato ambassador. And very much she's there to stand over the, the dietary, uh, nutritional, positive value of potatoes. Um, there's no fat in potatoes. And it's what how you cook them. Yeah. Uh, whether you cook them with oils or or what you add to them afterwards. Or mayonnaise, yeah. You know, they're the things you do to the potatoes. But as a standalone food ingredient, there's no fat in potatoes. It's it's a it's a carbohydrate. Your body needs carbohydrates as it needs fats and proteins. It needs a, as part of a balanced diet. Um, so they're a very natural product, um, and uh, they. Uh, they contain a lot of vitamin C and potassium as well. There's, an, mm. there's actually three times more potassium in a potato than in a banana. And you often see the guys, the sports guys at Wimbledon and places like that, and they're pulling out the banana to get their potassium. But yeah. there's actually three times more in a potato for the sports people. Which there, a lot you know? of people don't don't realise. OK, people are asking where can those recipes be found? Potato.ie. Potato.ie, okay. All 142 of them. And are there potato, are, are there curries on it? There are, yeah, Lord, oh, already said. six curries there yeah. at least. Yeah. I mean, it, Somebody's I looking mean, for my curry recipe. Listen, I'll, I'll, t- I'll get it to you. Okay, listen, we leave it there, um, uh, Lorcan. And potato.ie if people want to find out uh, more. And in the meantime, thank you for joining us on the programme today. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning bye to bye. you. Bye-bye. 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 Lorcan Burke there of uh, Board Bia. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're in for a very mild and a humid night tonight. That's prompted a text in from Louise uh, to say, oh, dear God, no, not another mild and humid night. I'm not able to sleep at night, uh, Patricia. Have you or any of your listeners any suggestions, please, as to how to cool down uh, at night? The one tip seemingly that's coming out from experts is don't have a fan in the room, that all the fan is doing is blowing the hot air uh, around. Lots of people swear by fans in bedrooms because the majority of us, we don't don't have the luxury of um, of having um, what's the word first where you, where the room cools down. Um can't think of the word. Anyway, uh, and, and people use fans instead to try and cool down the air conditioning. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word. Uh, we don't have air conditioning. We don't need air conditioning, so we don't have it. And so people use fans. But seeming the experts are saying, no, it's bad. And actually, it's very bad if you suffer with any kind of allergies because it's a tendency to blow dust all over the place. Now, there are some sort of general tips that are doing the rounds at the moment because, Louise, you're not on your own. So many people are complaining about not being able to get to sleep at night because of the heat. 
cotton obviously whatever you if you wear anything going to bed like pyjamas or uh, night dresses whatever it is make sure that they're cotton move away from the silk <laughs> silk PJs not the done thing in the heat there is an interesting one about splashing your sheets if you give your your bedding a light misting of water it can make the difference and help you get off to sleep and they also suggest that you spray your curtains make them slightly damp and then have the window open and that that seemingly can chill down and bring the temperature down in the in the room. Switch off any kind of plug in your room. You'd be surprised just having, you know, a radio plugged in, for example, the heat that can be generated from the plug. So anything that will reduce the heat in the room. So switch off, unplug all of the plugs in the room. This is one I think that might be worth trying. Ice some rice. They the suggestion is that you make what is in effect a cold hot water bottle but the fear is if you use a cold hot water bottle that it might melt in the bed. So instead you fill up a sock with rice and you put it in the freezer and then you pr- you can press that against your sensitive pulse points and then leave it near your feet or beside your temp your, your te- and press it on your temples but uh, it instantly turns the heat down a notch that might be so freeze rice in a sock obviously watch what you're drinking before you go to bed never drink anything hot also alcohol they say is bad for you your sleep can be affected by alcohol it can actually make you warmer so not a good idea chill your bedding and I've heard a few people suggesting this and I don't know anyone who's done it and I wouldn't have space in my freezer to do it but if you're really struggling they say to get your your sheets your bedding put it into a bag and pop it into a freezer for a few minutes before you go to bed it gives you the perfect head start then to get you off to sleep and the idea is that you'll be asleep before you even realise how warm the the room is go it alone if you share a bed with somebody Uh, be ruthless sleep on your own obviously if you're, you're picking up heat from another body in the bed and then the final tip is to go low and the, the go low is uh, to sleep downstairs because obviously all the heat goes upstairs. Rinse your wrists and your feet with cold water before you go to bed. That seemingly works. Uh, if you are insisting on having a fan in your room then you need to place a bowl or a tray of ice in front of the fan and then that blows the cold air as the ice uh, melts. And obviously trying to keep your room cooler, keep the blinds and the curtains closed during the day and that actually prevents the room from overheating. Just some of the tips that I found on a quick Google search. If anybody else has come up with ways of cooling down and managing to sleep in these warm, muggy nights, can you pass on your suggestions, please? 1850-333-103. We've had a call in from Mary, who is a school secretary. And she's wondering what other, how other school secretaries feel about this. Now, I imagine all school secretaries are going to be nodding in agreement and saying Mary is so right. She works in the primary school sector and she gets paid by the Board of Management. Now, the Board of Management get the money via a grant from the department and then obviously they decide how much to pay the school secretary. And I take it that's the norm across primary and secondary school uh, sector but the problem Mary has we're in the middle of the summer holidays she doesn't get paid for all of the holidays she gets a percentage of holiday pay which works out at a few hundred euro but that's it now I, 
I don't know what time of the year she gets that because she says for summer and Christmas holidays we do not get paid or when the school shuts down during the year you know if there's a bad weather event or if in a primary school it might be used for example when there is an election it could be a polling station so the school isn't opened on that particular day so none of those days are paid it's all at the discretion of the principal but Mary the reason Mary contacted us her big dilemma is that during the summer period the schools are off for what nearly two months and three months if it's uh, if it's secondary school she then has to sign on because technically she is unemployed so she's to go into the labour exchange sign on for social welfare but the problem is is the payment coming from social welfare it takes time to be assessed even though every single year since Mary's been employed as a school secretary and every other school secretary is going to be the same the department of social welfare know that all of these workers are going to be coming in either at the start of June for the secondary school and the start of July for the primary school. And there is a delay with payment being made. We're coming towards, where are we at? The 24th of July, coming towards the end of July, for example. Mary hasn't received any payment so far this year. She says some years it can be as late as mid-August. Now, she will get the money will get backdated, but she's in a bit of a pickle and I'm assuming she's relying on savings or there's some other money coming into the the house. But what if there wasn't? What if you literally were relying on your wages as a school secretary and you live on that week to week and then the summertime comes and what if you don't have savings? It's just, it's a bizarre, absolutely bizarre situation, particularly when they know that all of these workers are going to be left off, so to speak, during the summer months and at Christmas and at Easter. And I take it they, it's, they're well back at school before the Christmas and the Easter payment uh, is made. So Mary's contacted us in her own uh, situation, but I'm sure, as I say, every other school secretary is nodding, going, yeah, feel your pain, Mary. We're all going through the same thing. Don't know what the solution uh, is or how school secretaries get around it or if there is any way to speed up the process of them getting their payment. 1850-333-103. A number of people are commenting on Marie Bailey, the Marie Bailey case. This is Swingate. This is back in the news again. Mara says uh, Maria Bailey is continuing to do damage to the Fine Gael party with her exaggerated compensation claim. I wonder how long she will remain on uh, before she gives up her seat. Oh, like, I can't see her giving up her seat herself. Can you, if she hasn't done it at this stage? And John O'Donovan in the city says the only sanction being put on Maria Bailey is she has lost the committee seat. I don't know if she's lost the committee seat. She's lost the chair. I'm assuming she's still on the committee. She's still a member of the Fine Gael party, says John. You cannot be on about the compensation culture in this country when Fine Gael are allowing this woman to be a part of their party and a part of the government. Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach is on about insurance costs, but removing her from the housing committee is simply not enough. She needs to be removed from the doll. So allowing so allowing this to happen is not enough. It's just a slap on the wrist. What signal is it sending out to the people? Well, I firstly pick a hole straight away in your comment, John. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people are annoyed that her punishment seems too light. But it isn't up to Leo Varadkar. He can't remove it from the doll. She got elected by her constituents. They're the only one that can remove it from the doll and they'll have to wait for another election. But he could have removed her from the party for sure. For sure, he could have done that, and then technically, that would be her. That would be him removing her from 
the government but then the numbers aren't really stacking up are they for uh, Lear Varadkar and Lear Varadkar did say that Maria Bailey made uh, numerous errors of judgement in her handling of the swing fall case and that as a result she's been removed as chairperson of the Oireachtas uh, Committee uh, Varadkar confirmed the demotion this week yesterday actually but said that Maria Bailey was not being suspended from Fine Gael that the sanction comes following that internal party review carried out by David Kennedy SC who has found that Maria Bailey overstated the impact of the injuries she suffered through the fall of the Dean Hotel in Dublin as we know she did withdraw her legal proceedings but one wonders how much of that had to do with because of the media coverage even though she was critical of the media coverage saying the media acted as judge, jury and executioner. Uh, Yesterday Maria Bailey said she regrets taking the case and that she made no attempt to mislead and Leo Varadkar has been under pressure to publish details of the review and he released uh, a statement of what was contained in it and basically it was that she exaggerated her injuries. It doesn't take away from the fact that she fell off the swing and that she injured herself but it was the exaggeration of her injuries. Should she be gone completely? Should or, or Are people agreeing with those comments that are already in that she's? it's just not enough that what has been done to her that the chair gets removed and by removing the chair that there is a financial penalty in that for her in that they get I think it's an extra 10,000 a year if they take up that role of chair of different committees that's why they love to be put on the committees but they certainly love to get the chairperson of it so there is she's financially she is going to be losing out as well and on potatoes 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 Sandy says potatoes and veg are generally not regarded in the same way as they were years ago ago and in Sandy's opinion this is because we import so much and there's so much debate surrounding the use of weed killers and sprays on the veg that we buy and of course they're applied to keep them looking perfect when we all know that potatoes and veg don't grow like that in our own gardens they wither or they lose gloss in a day or two but it's not the same with the supermarket bought veg so in Sandy's opinion supermarkets are to blame for people being turned off uh, veg and, and, and potatoes and you are right in that you sometimes have to question what is put on the veg and the fruit to make them last so long and something that happened to me a number of years ago at Christmas I bought one of those like a wooden crate of satsumas the gorgeous juicy satsumas that rub us out at Christmas but of course we all overbuy at Christmas and I had this big wooden crate of satsumas and I had no space in the cupboard where I normally keep my veg and the fridge was jam packed so I was thinking oh what am I going to do with these so I, I popped them out into the I put some into the you know fruit bowl and they all look lovely but then the, the tray of them I put out into the shed and of course Christmas went by and there was so much to eat in the house everybody forgot about the fruit that was out in the shed and it was left and then it was the middle of winter I wasn't out in the shed and it was heading up to Easter time and I needed to open the shed to find something and lo and behold this was a good three four months after Christmas here were the Satsumas sitting in their same wooden tray inside in the shed and I said oh gee I forgot about those but they looked fine and the skins were a bit shriveled looking but they looked absolutely perfect and when we opened them there was no mould there was nothing absolutely no I didn't eat them I did eat a piece by the way just wanted to check they were fine weren't as juicy as they would have been when they were at Christmas but they were certainly very edible but just nobody else in the household wanted to eat them and it got me thinking what were they sprayed with 
what was added to them to make them last that long that surely normal home not that we grow homegrown uh, satsumas but if they hadn't been sprayed with anything surely they would not have lasted uh, that long that really sort of made me stop and think and then Mike uh, says hi Patricia potatoes are good to make you relax I didn't know that I eat the skins and all they're cheap and they're easy to cook uh, says Mike and the skins can I say are the very best part of the potato from the nutritional value they were all the vitamins are give them a good wash but make sure that you keep all of the skins on and Anne in Donna Rail sends on a gorgeous picture better value for money grow your own I dug up these in the lovely picture uh, I dug up these few yesterday and I can't wait to get them into the pot today says Anne and she sent on a gorgeous photograph of potatoes can I say of all different shapes and sizes they look like roosters to me but they look gorgeous and, they, and they're nothing like homegrown potatoes that you grow organically in your own gar- garden. I had a friend of mine in West Cork who used to make golden wonders and they were the floweriest golden wonders. I mean, you would just not be able to move from the table because you'd want to be eating another one and another one and another one. And they're just... If you, now, and I have to put my hand up and say love golden wonder potatoes but I can never cook them properly you know the way some people have that knack of cooking them so they end up just like balls of flour oh I'm getting hungry already and I'm a few hours away from lunch 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls text whatsapp 0862 103 103 and talking of Anne and her potatoes homegrown if you're home growing something and you might have a gardening question get it in because Peter will be joining us after half past 12 today C103 Jobs Steel Fabricator is wanted for immediate start. That's with Ford Steel Buildings. Bus drivers with a D licence and up-to-date CPCs are wanted for school runs in Bandon, Coachford and Ballancolic areas. While part-time staff are wanted for general factory work, it's for a blind manufacturer in the McCroom area. And fully qualified hairstylist and fully qualified beauty therapist required for Jesse's Hair and Beauty there in Bantry and in Clonakilty. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Following what was described as an emotive debate at Cork County Council over allegations of domestic violence, a vote was passed by 18 votes to 10 to erect a statue to former boxer, crooner and Hollywood film star Jack Doyle in his hometown of Cove. Former Councillor Dermot O'Kyla is a member of the Jack Doyle Statue Committee and uh, he joins me this morning. Good morning to you Dermot. Patricia, good morning. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. When when was this statue committee set up and why do you believe the town of Cove needs to remember Jack Doyle in this way? Well, the the committee is two years on the go now, just over two years. And as you know, it's about two and a half years ago since I took up the role as as a member of the local council. And it it, it arose because every day I was being asked, because people said, well, where are you a councillor? I say Cove. And they say, oh, Jack Doyle's country. Jack Doyle's name is known far and wide. Anybody involved in the tourist sector around Cove will know visitors are constantly asking about about Jack Doyle. He put Cove on the map, he put Cork on the map. So that's where it arose, um, meeting some people who personally knew and worked with Jack Doyle, and the suggestion came up, well, why don't we put up a statue to the man? And it's been worked on since then. So I'm delighted, finally it's been passed, 
um, after three party planning applications going through with various problems arising at each phase. But finally, it's been agreed. Um, I know there's not universal acclaim for it, but sure, that's life. People have, have their own opinions on things. But the majority of people do recognise the importance that Jack Doyle has to especially people in Cove who have the highest respect for What him. do you believe he's best own. remembered for? Is it the boxing, the singing, the acting? I suppose boxing and just for being a larger than life character. And I suppose one of the great things about Jack Doyle is he came from absolutely nothing. From the working class, he had a, they lived on charity, they, they lived in appalling tenement conditions as a young man. And he came out of that and showed, look, ordinary folk can do this. We're not condemned to, to begrudgery, or if you like, or to drudgery and poverty forever. And he came off that and, and with shining colours as a champion. And, and sadly, then, the sadly then died penniless in London. But wasn't, sadly, it lo- yeah. wasn't it local people who fundraised to not have him be buried in a pauper's grave in London, but to bring him back to Cove? In, Such in fact, was the esteem he was held in. In fact, the chairman of our committee, Colin Barry, his family and his brother Peter were the undertakers who arranged to bring his body back. But in the end, it was actually financed by the Cork Boxing Association. They paid the funeral expense in the end of the day. And, and, I, and I believe in living memory, Jack Doyle's funeral was the biggest one in Cork for many, many decades. The people thronged the streets of Cork City and in Cove um, to say their farewells to Jack Doyle. He's known far and wide. When Jack was fighting, you'll see old photographs of Patrick Street because the examiner used to broadcast the fights out on radio. And the whole of Patrick Street is just black with people. He had such but, regard. But, dear Mitch, the allegations of domestic violence, mm. we can't just brush them under the carpet and sure. let on they never happened. Well, they never happened. Their allegations is all they are. And it's very easy to level allegations. And as we know from tabloid media practice, anybody at all who who reaches a height in this society and does well, the media go after them like dogs and they publish anything they like without substantiation. The Doyle family who've been involved in this and have been over the coast several times meeting a number of councillors and so on um, are outraged at the suggestions that Jack Doyle was uh, was a typical domestic violent uh, individual. He wasn't, and there's no evidence whatsoever. In fact, all across the United States, Britain and Ireland, he was never even once accused of it. And I mean charged or, you know, brought to a court. Never. And in that context, I mean, it was was disappointing to hear some members of Cork County Council repeat these allegations on a public record um, as if they were true. There's no substance to them. And um, if there was, well, put them out there, but there isn't. And let's just celebrate the man and let's not try to dissect people's personal lives in that way. He wasn't a saint. And why should he? Why should we want to impose upon him the qualities you might attach to sainthood? He grew up in terrible conditions. So, of course, he had, you know, bumps on him and all the rest of it. But let's just take what he contributed. He was this larger-than-life character, showed you that ordinary working people can do something with their lives if they pay their attention to it. And he did it in outstanding style. And okay. I think it's fabulous for Cove to celebrate this and it will be a huge attraction for Cove. All right, well, what, will, one, will one, of, one of the councillors that was uh, critical of this decision mm. is Councillor Marcia Dalton, who's Hi, on the yes. other line. Good morning okay. to you, uh, Marcia. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you, Good morning. You're, you're against this uh, idea of remembering Jack Doyle and is it because of these allegations of domestic violence? 
Okay, for starters, I'm not against it, and nor did I ever say that I was. Okay. I voted against it in the full council meeting on Monday because the queries I had asked weren't answered. Um, and I was indeed concerned about the allegations against him. The queries I asked were, why exactly are we remembering him? Was it because of the boxing history? Was it because of the, the singing history? Was it because of the movie history? Was it because of his charisma? And once that had been defined to me, then I wanted to understand if the municipal district who was proposing this, bringing this forward to full council, if they had considered the reason he was being celebrated again, because there are memorials to Jack already in Gove, um, against the allegations which were associated with his name. And if that hadn't been considered, well then I wanted it considered because we as a full council have on many occasions supported women who are in domestic violence situations. We've voiced our concerns, voiced our needs for refuge for them, and we continue to, when we've got to put representation towards committees, um, we continue to support gender quotas. So I thought this was appropriate in that context, but the question wasn't answered to me. And I asked a second time, and it still wasn't answered to me, um, and so I voted against it. And I accept what Dermot is saying, in entirety, that the allegations are just that. Allegations. And I didn't live in the 30s and 40s in that time when women who did, didn't have the same standing as they do today, whose opinions weren't taken on board in the same way they are today, and for whom it would have been virtually impossible to be trialled in a court of law to have their words taken against somebody else's at that time. Right, so let me put that point. Dermot, that's a good point. We're talking about a very different era. We have a much better understanding of domestic violence today than we ever had back in the 30s and 40s. That would have been women going up against what was seen as, as, as a powerful popular mm. man at the time. V- very true and wouldn't it be great if we could actually address the issue of domestic violence today? I'd love to see a programme of that. I've seen plenty of experience of domestic violence in my day. There are families all over the place suffering it. We should deal with that, but let's not put the weight on the shoulder of Jack Doyle. Let's just deal with that issue. I'd love to do it, and I'm glad to hear Marcia saying she's not against the statue per se. She's, you know, has other queries, but and, and let's deal with them. And especially, I would. But love maybe you can answer there are Marcia's there are question about domestic violence all over and they're doing nothing about it. But can you answer Marcia's question why do you want Jack Doyle remembered? Because the people of Cove want him remembered. It means something to them. Marcia is that a good enough reason reason. for you? My understanding is that he's already remembered in Cove, that there are memorials to him, that there is a plaque in the promenade where the statue is going to be put, that's there already. And I would love if the municipal district of Cork County Council has money to throw at statues and commemorations, that there would be a public invitation for sons and daughters of Cove um, to to submit whom they would like to be remembered, because it may just be the case that nobody else came forward with a suggestion and a determination to fundraise. Yeah, well, there are many, there are many sons and daughters. In fact, Cove is probably top heavy with people who deserve to be remembered and marked in public and so on mm-hmm. for their achievements in life and their contributions. That is great, but please don't pose that against the suggestion, the one suggestion that has come up, 
let's do that. And if there are other things to be done, which there are, then people should pursue that as well. But let's not set them against each other. This isn't correct. And the contribution made by by the local municipal council was, of course, decided by them. Um, I think that's entirely proper. Um, it will it will actually be an attraction for Cove. Where you see when this statue is erected, I suspect there will be queues of people lining up to have their photograph taken with, with Jack Doyle's arm, if you like, around them. The backdrop will be the promenade, will be the, the bandstand on the promenade. And behind that, you'll actually see the Cove St. Coleman's Cathedral. Fantastic imagery. So this is all good for Cove. So it will actually pay, I think, if almost reduce it to that, it will pay for itself in cold. Okay, Marcia, but, would you see it yeah, as a tourist attraction? I'd, I'd really like to answer that, and yes, I do agree with Dermot. I think it will be a tourist attraction. And I am very concerned, particularly about, as Dermot accurately described, what is supposed to be the guise of the statue. Jack is sitting on a bench, his right arms outstretched over the top bar of the bench, and there will be room for an empty seat beside it, where the tourists can sit and have their photograph taken with his arm around them. And that will indeed be an economic opportunity for Cove. And all I am saying is, if that were real life, from the stories that we hear now, again, we weren't alive in the 30s and 40s, I would not like my daughter to have been married to Jack Doyle. And I don't think, in the context of the stories, the allegations that we hear, that it's right to have to, to avail of an economic opportunity, particularly with that gatch of a statue, and not talk about what potentially went behind it. And I tell you why, Patricia, there is a tremendous amount of research done um, on, on domestic abuse in association with sporting prowess. And it is recognised that it can sometimes be difficult for those who excel in sports to, to separate their need to win um, from in the field from their domestic life at home. And it is recognised that that can sometimes um, be proportionately heavy, high in the sporting situations. And it is also recognised as something we need to address as a society. And I'm just saying, we're touching on this here as a council, and I am concerned we may not have addressed it. And okay. I don't want us to, to use an economic opportunity Good and all as that may be for Cove, and I love Cove to the depths of my being. I don't want us to exploit that without having this conversation. I don't think that's fair. Okay, and, and, and you're not the only ones having the conversation. I mean, I've already seen that, that Women's Age, which is the organisation combating domestic violence, they said they feared if, if this statue went ahead, that Jack Doyle's presence in the Harbour Town will help glorify domestic violence uh, towards uh, women. Dermot, how much is this statue expected to cost and who covers the entire funding for it? The, the budget is, is in the region of €40,000 and it will be done by public subscription. The people of Cove will be asked to contribute and businesses and other interests who have benefited from Doyle's name, in fact, will be asked to contribute to it. So there's going to be a public meeting in, in Cove sometime around September um, to ha- bring in interest groups and ordinary people um, inviting them to discuss the project in its entirety and how to bring it to fruition. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, like again, uh, economic argument is not the justification for this. The justification is that this is a character who, who is the love of the people in Cove and that is why it's proper order to put it there. Okay, we'll keep a close eye on this. In the meantime, uh, Dermot and uh, Marcia, we thank you both for joining us on the programme this morning. 
Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, County Councillor Marcia Dalton and former uh, Councillor uh, Dermot O'Kyla on the Should Cove Erect a Statue of Jack Doyle. We've had it up as a Twitter poll ask the question should a statue of Jack Doyle be erected in Gove following allegations of domestic violence bearing in mind that the domestic violence uh, they have he was never charged uh, with the criminal offence of domestic violence but as Marcia said we're talking about a very different era we're talking about the domestic violence was alleged to have happened back in the 30s and 40s so a very different time OK currently our Twitter poll is 58% of people say no and 42% of people say yes that he should be remembered. And we have deliberately put in the wording of the allegations of domestic violence. This is not taken away from Jack Doyle and what Jack Doyle achieved. It's because of the allegations of domestic violence. That's what is concerning so many people. 1850-333-103. Your thoughts and comments welcomed on that, the possibility of a statue of Jack Doyle in Cove. And Annie has been on. Can anybody help our Annie? Going through her clothes, moths have everything beat, bitten and eaten anybody know what to do how to help out Annie please she used to get mothballs many many years ago but she wonders can you still purchase them I know this came up last year definitely last year we had a shout out for mothballs and we had a number of people saying that they were still available uh, because I remember the discussion around the smell of mothballs <laughs> and lots of people remembering their granny's houses and if you open granny's wardrobe it always smelt a smelt of mothballs but by God granny didn't have a hole in any of her jumpers or cardigans like poor Annie has found today anyway she's looking for solutions please to get rid of moths can she buy mothballs? Is mothballs the way to go? Are there any new products on the market that don't smell as badly? But I'm assuming they have to smell badly in order to deter the moths, do they? So anyone with advice on moths, please, for Annie. Now, we continue with our bi-monthly feature with Owalia, the free mortgage arrears support operated by MABS. And to answer some questions raised by listeners who are finding themselves in financial difficulties, I'm joined by Rosaline Ward, who is money advisor with South Munster MABS. Good morning to you, Rosaline. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you are welcome to the programme. Let's start with a listener who says, my partner and I are separated. He paid the mortgage and I I paid all of the bills. I believed my partner was paying the mortgage, but it turns out now that the mortgage is in arrears to the tune of €12,000. The bank are now writing to me, but my post was hidden on me. I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my home for my children. What should I do? So in the first instance, uh, the most important thing is to start making payments on the account uh, straight away. If the client is... if and this person is separated from their partner, they can be treated as what's known as a single borrower. So the bank will deal with them in their own individual uh, circumstances. So the most important thing there is to make the payments, contact the bank and let them know what has happened. The bank will look for the standard financial statement which will outline income expenditure and the overall circumstances um, that that person is dealing with at the moment. And if they're feeling that they're overwhelmed or incomplete in that form because it can be quite daunting is to contact your local NAB service and someone like myself or one of my colleagues here, a trained advisor, will uh, help complete the form. But the most important thing is to start back making payments um, straight away uh, on the account, get in contact and then contact ourselves. Yeah, and explain to the bank what's been going on and... Absolutely. You know, I think and people are just afraid. They've got this image of, you know, the big scary bank manager and, and people are afraid to interact. People need to interact with the banks. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. And in uh, this particular case where they're separated, um, the debt would be joint and several, but the bank will deal with the um, deal with the person on their own terms. Yeah. So they will deal with each each partner individually. But the most important thing is that if this particular person is remaining in the family home with the children, that they engage with the bank, make the payments, and obviously complete the uh, documentation that's needed to put some sort of arrangement in place to deal with the to deal with the arrears. Okay. Now, sadly, this listener says our house was repossessed and later sold but we've recently been contacted and told we still owe the bank money we thought the mortgage was all finished once the house was repossessed can you advise us please so in this case, if the house was sold, uh, there might have been a shortfall there. So this would turn into a secondary unsecured debt. So uh, this, this couple, we'll assume, are no longer, they're obviously no longer in the property. So to deal with the secondary unsecured debt, some of their options they would need to go through would be maybe a voluntary um, option to pay back the debt. Or as we spoke about before, a debt relief notice, if it's below a certain value of 35000 and they meet all the other criteria, there is other options as well under personal insolvency to deal with, uh, to deal with that shortfall. And the best place to go through those options again is with ourselves. That will involve looking at the overall circumstances, the income, uh, what rent has been paid at the moment, what is the overall debt situation at the moment. There is options to deal with that secondary unsecured debt, and it depends on the particular circumstances of anyone um, that might find themselves in that situation. A debt relief notice might be open to them. It's a it's a write off for the value of up to thirty five thousand. It's once in a lifetime, and it will it will inevitably give a give a fresh start to this uh, to this uh, couple or person starting off again. Okay, another listener says the bank keep asking me to fill in an SFS. Uh, but I'm just so overwhelmed. Why should I do? Why do I need to do this? Why do the bank need another one? Okay, what's an FSF? An SFS is a standard financial statement. So it's okay. a document used by all lending institutions for um, for mortgages, and this is it's a detailed document. It outlines the family circumstances, uh, who's working, the ages of all the children, the income coming into the uh, household. And then it looks at what the expenditures are, any the overall debt situation. So. Here, I'd say the bank is what they're looking for. They're looking to get um, to get an overall picture of what's going on. Is there any arrangement that they could possibly put in place to deal with the arrears? Generally, when an SFS is being requested, there's arrears of some sort, and the bank is trying to look at what solutions are available, are available to the client. Ultimately, when they're looking for the information, you know, repossession is the last is the last uh, option for banks. If they're looking for another one, I'm not sure in relation to this case, but it could be that you know the other the other SFS maybe wasn't completed properly. It's missing some support and documentation. It's very important to send in the bank statements, proof of income, or the other one might have gone, uh, it might have gone stale, so it could have gone out of date, and they're looking for a new one. But the most important thing here is to uh, submit it to the bank, and if anyone feels that they can't do it, like again, our service is 100% free, professional, and we'll have somebody fill it in for them, and then you know that box is ticked, so the bank then can move forward and see uh, what options are open to the open to the person. Okay, another t- texter says I've come to an arrangement with the bank bank to pay every month but I've now got a letter with a new court date. I thought this was all over that I wouldn't have to go back to court court when I made the arrangement with the bank. Why is this happening? I'm stressed out. 
So if they're making an arrangement with the bank, it could be in what's called, known as a trial arrangement, where the bank are trial arrangement for perhaps six months. If this case is already in in the uh, repossession um, listing in court, it will remain there until the final, until the actual final sign-off is done. So it's known as a trial arrangement. This person has done has completed their standard financial statement by the signs of things. The bank has uh, seen that there is a solution available to them. So they've put them in a trial arrangement for six months to see will it work? Can the person meet it? Then at the end of the six months normally it's finalised and only at that point will it be removed from the listing. What I would say to that person is you know, if they are getting a court date they should still turn up regardless if they're in the trial arrangement. Okay. It's very important with the court date to turn up you know, just in case there's ever some sort of miscommunication and it's also important to respect the court um, when it comes to the high street possession. Okay, listener says my partner recently left me and my two kids. The mortgage is in our joint names. My partner has said he wants nothing more to do with the mortgage or indeed the children. He's just walked away from our family and from our mortgage and this is something similar to a, a case we discussed actually on the programme a few weeks ago. Um, somebody going after somebody for um, a, a very similar situation. But what happens here with the, with the mortgage? I mean, this person is obviously now in a, in a right pickle. So this is actually similar to the first case we spoke about. So the person who's left um, in in the family home, the first thing they need to do is, like we said, they need to maintain payments, contact the bank, they need to let the bank know that they're now a single borrower. The same documentation is going to be required again. It's suppose the same message is coming out in all of this. It's engagement with the bank, notifying them of the circumstances. So this person, it's a very tough time and it's very vulnerable, particularly when there's children involved. The bank then will, um, the lender will treat them as separated borrowers. So this person will, you know, submit all their information, as we said in the last couple of uh, questions, and then the this remains joint and severally liable. So the mortgage doesn't split down the middle or anything. Both partners, whether they're together or separated, the total balance remains outstanding. The obligation is still to make payments, and they're contractually bound to do that. So the most important thing is to make the payments, contact the bank, and if you, if someone in that situation is really really vulnerable and feel that they can't do it, particularly you know if it's very recent, yeah. their MAP service will negotiate uh, and contact the bank for them on their behalf, act as a third party. So it's one, it's it's an extra additional free support that somebody can use. Our service is also 100% confidential, so they don't have to worry about what's spoken inside in the office. It remains in there unless they wish for it to disclose. To the bank. OK, and someone else says my mortgage has been in court a few times and the solicitor for the bank has told us we do not need to attend the next hearing. Is that the correct advice? No, it's not the correct advice. Um, you know, if the most important thing is if you get a court date, you turn up. It's not if what the bank solicitor there is maybe saying that they're going to be applying for adjournment. It could be something as simple as paperwork is being assessed and the bank is obviously waiting to see the outcome of the assessment. But by all means, even if you're told not to turn up to the court date, you turn up to the court date. Generally, the repossession uh, sittings are heard here in Washington Street for the Cork area uh, every Wednesday. And we staff, uh, my own colleagues go down there uh, every Wednesday. They're available. They'll tell you what number you are, where to sit, where to, you know, where you need to, what you need to sit, stand, and they also can put you in touch with the duty solicitor, and that's a free service underneath the Awalia. But the, it's very, very important to turn up to court, even if you have been told that um, there's no need to turn up. If you have a court date, by all means, turn up. Okay, and somebody who's facing into the possibility of not paying their mortgage, I've just been told in the last couple of weeks, them due to be laid off soon. Two young children. My wife works part time. We've never missed a payment on our mortgage or indeed any of our loans. What do we need to do? Is somebody planning? 
So, yeah, so this, this, this is probably the most perfect time to try and come in and deal with something. So it's probably what's known as a pre-arrears case. Okay. So if somebody, um, they're in a position now to let the bank know what's possibly going to happen. So the best thing for them to do, uh, again, is to contact our own service, come in, we do up the paperwork, we notify the bank of, you know, the situation that's going to ha- happen, and the lender then is in a better position to put in maybe a short-term temporary arrangement to avoid any arrears Great. happening on the account. The worst thing that, that the uh, person can do here is avoid getting in contact with the bank because if they don't hear from them, they won't know what exactly the situation. Yeah. And once arrears start up on the account, you know you can get into a spiral of um, trying trying to pay them back. So here with this person, if they have been laid off, the best thing to do is in contact the bank, and if not, contact yourselves, and we'll tell them what the best thing to do is. Okay. There. All right. Mine um, of information as always, uh, Rosaline. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Okay. That is uh, Rosaline Ward, who is a money advisor with the South Munster Mabs, and just some really sad breaking news that uh, actress uh, Danica McGuigan daughter of the former boxing champion Barry McGuigan has uh, died. She's just uh, 30 following a short illness. Her family said they're devastated by Nika's death after a brief but brave battle against uh, cancer. She'd appeared in many films, television and theatre productions and certainly people will remember as soon as you see Nika's photograph you'll remember her but people will certainly remember her for the part she played in Stephanie Preisner's TV series Can't Cope, Won't Cope. She was one of the starring roles uh, in that and uh, she, after a, the family said that after a brief but brave battle against cancer, Nika passed away peacefully in the early hours of Tuesday the 23rd, uh, surrounded by her loving family. As a family, we're devastated and we asked for complete privacy during this difficult period to allow us to grieve for our Nika. God help them, God help. And she was a young girl. She had her whole career ahead of her. Such sad, sad news for the McGuigan uh, family. We pass on our deepest, deepest uh, sympathies and I imagine uh, Stephanie Preisner, um, the Mallow writer who wrote Can't Cope, uh, Won't Cope because I know whenever we spoke to Stephanie about the series, she was always talking about how great the two girls were, the two main uh, actresses so there'll be a Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot of people very, very sad with that news. May she rest uh, in peace. 
You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your commentary coming in. Dennis and Glamour was listening to our piece with the money advisor, Rosalind Ward from uh, MABS, listening to uh, various scenarios from listeners who are finding themselves struggling and in uh, difficulty. Uh, Dennis says, since this government has come into power in 2011, since we've had governments led by Fine Gael, they seem to be laughing at the mortgage arrears. People with housing, tax and high mortgages, instead of helping them, they appear to be hindering them. So while the politicians are taking pay increases, the workers are not getting they're not getting the same pay increases to pay their mortgages. A lot of people are finding it as hard as ever today as they did during the years of the recession. Yeah, there is a lot of people really struggling. And that's one of the points that we bring up every time we have our our Awalia feature on with Mabs the money advice and budgeting service is to say to people when they're struggling don't bury your head in the sand get out there get the help get the advice that you need I mean Awalia is a free service which in fairness Dennis I know you're, you're saying the government are only laughing at them that's a you know that's government funded that's a state funded service there are fr- there's free financial advice there's free help there um, but people just need to uh, engage thank you for your call Dennis on nighttime sleeping Joni McCroom has a tip for all of us she says make sure that your pillow slip is cotton and then you keep turning it over when you start to get hot fluff up the pillow turn it over and then sleep on the cooler side Joan finds it works perfectly for her and helps her get off to sleep we were talking about thanks Joan we were talking about potatoes today Rose says I've often seen fields full of potatoes growing around my home place but when the potatoes end up with flowers on them to me, says Rose, the sign that they're perfectly healthy and they look perfectly healthy. But it's at that time you'll see the farmers spraying them. Why are they spraying the potatoes if they're in full bloom? And what are they spraying it with? Um, if there's any producer of potatoes out there that can tell us why when they everything looking fine and healthy. We often with Peter Dowd will talk about blight. Could it be something to do with blight and that they, they're fearful of blight and they have to spray something? I don't know. What is sprayed on potatoes at that stage when they're growing in the fields, all looking healthy, flowers on the plants and yet the farmer decides to spray. Why? On moths. Now we got some reaction for Annie and the moths. Let me go to the moths. Tell that woman with the moth problem to try bay leaves. It's good and safe and it works. Oh, okay. That's from Kathleen in McCroom. So put some bay leaves into your wardrobe. And someone else says, Hi, cedar moth rings, moth strips and cassettes and moth spray. All available in Frank Toomey's hardware in McCroom. That shop must be just fantastic because whenever we mention anything like that, there's somebody will inevitably be on saying, I got it in Frank Toomey's hardware in McCroom. So there you go. There they are still and continue to deal with moths if you want to go there. Some of your WhatsApps in Baz in Bantry says, Patricia, to eliminate moths, use an old air freshener and put soap into it, which is no longer in use. Then it can be positioned wherever you want it. For example, in a wardrobe, shelves, in drawers, wherever you want to put it. It does work. Plus it is the bonus of adding a nice aroma. If you get a nice 
soap with a good strong smell uh, from it and that comes in from Baz in Bantry thank you for that I didn't know I didn't know that, that old soap and put it into you know the plastic air freshener so open it up when the air freshener is gone and put in your soap into it Baz in Bantry swears by it and yes lavender mothballs are available says this texture you can get them in John and Doreen Hurley's shop that's in Bantry a shop that has everything from a needle to an anchor okay hi to everyone in John and Doreen Hurley's shop in Bantry you get your lavender mothballs and I'm assuming lavender mothballs smell like lavender as opposed to the old mothballs which used to absolutely stink so I, I I could go with that and that comes in from uh, John oh welcome back to John Paul thank you I'll pass uh, that on and somebody else is asking rather than trying to get rid of the uh, what, what what causes moths how do you why are we getting moths and is, is moths is it a seasonal thing does it only happen at this time of the year I I don't know I mean I'm taking moths are there all, all year round but they probably hibernate do they for parts of the year it certainly is at this time of the year that we'll start to get calls into the programme about moths for sure but it's this time of the year rather than any other uh, time okay also on oh the Jack Doyle piece that we did in the last hour and should we have the Jack Doyle statue in Cove Sheila says Patricia on Jack Doyle people have soft money putting up a statue after women putting their lives on the line were with nowhere to go and no money to get out years gone by says uh, Sheila who has great sympathy for the women who alleged we have to say alleged because he was never charged even though the man is dead but who alleged that they were they were physically abused and it was extreme physical abuse I mean anything I read online yesterday when I knew we were going to be doing it today every single article that I seem to come across to do with uh, Jack Doyle bar commentary on his various boxing matches uh, but any historical articles about him all had this talk of extreme domestic violence with his wife and uh, other female female partners. I don't know if he had an anger management issue but as I said he was never charged but it was a different era. Now Pat one of our male uh, listeners is fuming that we're even covering this and says there's no proof there's no evidence and uh, it's just uh, women trying to destroy men and he's very much on the side of because it's and well it's historical so we can't have proof and evidence now but because it was something that happened many many years ago he feels it's very very wrong that it has even been discussed also into us still getting the potatoes in Patricia the best potatoes you'll ever get in Ireland where do you get them? John McCarthy's Butchers in League, says Francis. The next time I'm in League, I'm popping into John McCarthy's Butchers for my potatoes. Thank you for that, uh, John, uh, Francis. And then we were talking about secretaries and school secretaries. And we had Mary, who is a school secretary in a primary school. And she was talking about, loves her job and all of that. But she only gets paid when she's physically doing the job and it's at the discretion of the principal. The principal gets some kind of a grant from the Department of Education. So then, so I take it from that to where that all secretaries get, earn a different amount. Does it depend on the size of the grant? And is the grant bigger, the bigger the school? I don't really know how it works, but it's at the discretion of the principal. But they then they don't get paid for the summer holidays or they'll get a very small, they might get a small bit of holiday pay but certainly they have to sign on for the summer months and I take it the, is it the same for the midterm break? They wouldn't be signed on for the week of the midterm break would they? And Christmas and Easter when they're off for two weeks. But the problem that Mary is facing is 
she doesn't get the money for weeks, sometimes months. Like we're into the end of July and she's been signing on now for over a month because her job finished up at the end of June and she hasn't had a payment yet from the Department of Social Protection. And she said some years it can be the middle of August, which seems very, very unfair. And a principal has contacted us to say the schools here are not at fault. We are very badly funded. They are badly treated, i.e. the secretaries are very badly treated by the social welfare and secretaries are great. That's, that's, that's a lovely, a lovely principle. Yeah, and I'm sure if we threw it open to principals to say, would you like to be paying your secretaries when they're not at work, when the school is closed? I imagine 100% would say, of course we would, but it's out of our hands we're badly funded. We know primary schools in particular are badly funded. Their capitation grant is still less today than what it was before the cuts came in following during the recession when everybody was seeing cuts left, right and centre. Capitation grants to schools were cut. Primary schools were already on the back foot because they get less than the secondary school, which I can never understand. You could have a primary school across the road from a secondary school and you'll have the sixth class students getting paid, the principals getting paid so much per head, per pupil, while they're on the left-hand side of the road in the primary school. And then they go across the road to the right-hand side and they go into the secondary school and the principal over there will get more money for the same pupil who's just come across the road. I can never, ever understand uh, that. They have the same costs. You know, they still have to pay insurance, they still have to pay for water they still have to pay for heating, they still have to pay for lights, they have to pay to get their bins disposed of. All the same bills are for both schools. I can never ever understand that. Anyway that's an aside issue. So schools are underfunded. So the principals are doing the best they can. So there's a principal if that's any comfort to Mary a principal certainly having a lot of sympathy for you. I did see in the midst of all of that when I called out Mary's comment, John I don't know what John's beef is, but John reckons there should be no holiday pay at all. We have to work for small pay. So I'm not too sure where John is coming from there. Are you saying there should be no holiday pay for anyone? Does that include yourself? Even people that are on low pay, surely everybody is entitled to time off and to get paid for it. 1850 333 103. Your gardening questions, please, for Peter Dowdell, who joins us after half past 12. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Ballyfahan Bingo is on every Wednesday night. So it's on tonight, 8 o'clock in Ballyfahan Community Centre. €5,000 of a jackpot with a guaranteed payout of €4,000. Proceeds go to the upkeep of the hall. Fremont Summer Cultus Sessions are on in Fremont Heritage Centre every Wednesday night for the month of July and August. Uh, kicks off at half past eight. Well worth a visit with music, song, dance and storytelling. And this week's special guests are Kyotori Clarock. The Irish Wheelchair Association have an open day at the Gilbert Centre in Mallow. It's on today until three o'clock this afternoon. All are welcome. The popular Clonakilty Guided Historical Town Walks are held every Wednesday. Again, during July and August, you meet at the Michael Collins statue in Clon at seven o'clock. And the walk is about an hour and a quarter. Everyone's very welcome. Irish Blood Transfusion Service have a donor clinic in Skullmwirr, gone small. That's in Blarney. And that's on today between five and half past uh, eight. 
And breast cancer survivor Liz Cullinan is climbing Kilimanjaro in August to raise funds for the Cork Cancer Care Centre. Part of her fundraising, a special fundraising night will be held in the Grove Bar in Blackpool this Friday night with music from the Topsy Brothers, spot prizes galore and a great night assured. And Lowering Cross Dog Show for the local community will be held next Sunday. It's got a two o'clock start. They're open for entries from 1pm. Lots of prizes for all classes. Just a couple of texts in on holiday pay and I suppose this has been kicked off by John who reckons nobody should be getting holiday pay he's in a low pay job and he feels nobody should be getting holiday pay which I still quite I can understand from his text where he's coming from on it but Anne in the city says I think employers are abusing the social welfare system anyone who's working for a company for more than two years should be made permanent and therefore when there isn't work available they should be uh, paid Uh, yeah but that can't work for the schools because we know that they're going to be closed every year for, you know, chunks of time. And as the principal says, they get, they're strapped for cash. It's not their decision not to pay the secretaries for the downtime. They have a limited budget, so they've got to live within their budget. But absolutely for other employers that are skewing the system and that's what they're doing by laying people off in quiet times or sign on there and come back to us Um, you would be fearful you would be fearful that some employers may be abusing the system but that's up to the government isn't it to look at the system and how they and how they handle it but then you would be afraid is it workers would suffer if they were let go and if they weren't allowed to sign on I mean people have to live on something and John in White's Cross says a friend of mine drives trucks on the continent and the company he works for, they don't pay, give any holiday pay. But everyone working for the company gets an extra €50 euro a week on top of their wages. They can spend it on whatever they want, but there's no holiday pay. So that's €50 euro a week across the board for everyone. So it increases the more take-home pay so it increases the pay they bring home, which would work in favour of those who are going for mortgages, uh, etc. And then it's up to the individual to put that money aside, is it, on the weeks then that they're not working when they won't get any pay if they want to do it that way. Or does it mean that they can work flat out for the 52 weeks? See, I'd be worried about anyone that's working for 52 weeks and not taking any break. And would people see that as an incentive to save or just keep working? You're into burnout and particularly in that job and truck driving. You need, you surely you need to uh, get breaks uh, from it. And my friend works in the tourism industry and I have another friend who works in the printing industry. They don't get holiday pay. How it works for them is that my friend in the printing industry works from the start of September right through to the end of July and then he gets three weeks uh, three weeks in July off and off in August and then gets a week off at uh, Christmas and, does, and doesn't get paid. Is this, is this, okay. There seems to be some that, that text isn't finished. My apologies. That comments in John Paul's are finished. So obviously there's some industries that just don't pay. So that's the school secretary system is not the only system that in the downtime when they're not busy they just don't pay pay people but that goes back to the other comment that came in is that abusing the social welfare system by doing that employing people for when it's busy and then when in the downtime not paying them and then they have to go on to social welfare but I suppose employers will say what else can we do if we're not making money in the downtime where are we getting the money to pay all of these uh, people now I did not know this and thank you by the way for those comments when we were talking about potatoes and somebody was on about the flowers and the spraying and all of that Mike from Bantry says Patricia, did you know 
Potatoes were first grown for their flowers. I did not know that. And I wonder, somebody obviously dug them up and looked at this big round thing growing at the bottom and decided, mm, I think I'll eat that. <laughs> so when she learns something new every day, thank you for that, Mike in Bantry. I did not know that potatoes were first grown for their flowers. On Irish Water, uh, because we did a feature this week on Irish Water and conservation and how we all need to conserve water and how it's all so important that we conserve and don't waste uh, water. Hi, Patricia. Irish Water run about people using using excessive water and they're going to charge you by the way for the excessive water well there is a burst water main somewhere on the news every single day of the week on your radio station they should be fined for wasting water and not picking on individual uh, families now I did when I had our expert on from Irish Water early in the week um, Neil Neil Smith was the gentleman's name I did ask him about leaks because we got a lot of texts and calls in about saying ask him about leaks ask him about leaks and I think the statistic I read it's about we lose about 40% of our water every day through leaks but Irish Water will say that they are doing the very best that they can to work on those leaks and they're out they are out every single day along with workers from Cork County Council trying to address the situation and then the people that wanted Irish Water to be self-funded through bills will say, there you go. That's the reason that we needed, why we needed water charges so that Irish Water could get in all this money and then use the money to fix the leaks. But they are working to try to address it. By the way, and I should have mentioned this earlier in the week, when it comes to Irish Water, I was really surprised to read this earlier in the week. There's millions of euro worth of water charge refunds refund money remains unclaimed. Something like 42,000 customers haven't claimed back their water charge money. Remember when they refunded all the money? Um, 42,000 customers is a grand total of 5.17 million. Still available to householders who paid at least one bill uh, issued by Irish Water prior to the scrapping of the charges. The latest information provided to the Social Democrat TD, Catherine Murphy, showed that more than two years after the refund scheme was set up, there's still 4% of Irish Water customers who didn't get the money back. Now, uh, the, and they've, Irish Water have come out with the figure, it's 42,000 uh, households. Households may be entitled to refunds up to 325. That would have been the top rate if you paid every single bill and uh, you had a number of adults in the house. Irish Water say the remaining customers need to contact them. Now, this is to correct data issues that are blocking the sending out of the refunds. Because when I saw this, I was thinking, I don't remember applying for the refund. I thought it just came out and it did. It was sent out automatically. Reasons why refunds have not been issued to these 42,000 homes are incidents where the customers have changed addresses so they obviously tried to send the cheque out and the cheque came back, where the account has been in the name of the occupier or the owner. And some people actually paid water charges. With, that's the only name that was on it, the occupier or the owner. They obviously can't issue a refund to the occupier or the owner. They need a name of a person. Uh, and also where there has been a change of name on the account. Other reasons for non-payment of refunds include customers moving abroad, not providing a forwarding address and issues relating to rental properties where the tenants have moved on. And it was the tenants who actually paid not the landlord. Uh, Catherine Murphy, Social Democrat at TD, said that Irish water customers who paid bills while the charges were in operation might think it was too late to claim their money back, but she's encouraging those who have 
They still haven't got their refund to go after it, please. Now, Irish Water are saying that there's no end date by which customers had to claim the refund. They say they, there may be a small percentage of customers who have moved abroad or passed away and who will never seek a refund. But she said the funding allocation was there. It would remain available to them and to their estate if somebody has died. And details of how to apply are available on water.ie slash refunds or by calling Irish Water 1850 448 448. If, if, so you need to, did you get a refund on your Irish Water? And if you didn't, or if you know of a family member who didn't and was pondering why they didn't get it, the money is there. They're not going to give it away. I would, this part of me would think, should they put an end date on it and say if the money's not refunded and then give it all over to charity? Remember the Peter McVerry Trust? They made a lot of money out of, out of the refunds. They certainly would be thrilled and any of the housing charities would be thrilled to get a chunk of, of this money. But it looks like maybe there's laws around it and there's legislation that won't allow Irish Water to simply give the money away because they've got to give it back. So as of now, it's sitting pretty in Irish Water's bank account waiting to be refunded. So please, if you know of anyone who didn't get their Irish water refund, it could be up to like €325 is nothing to sneeze at, go to uh, to water.ie forward slash refunds or call them at 1850-448-448. Okay, we're going to take a break and we are back with our gardening expert, Peter Dowd. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. We've been, uh, we're again obsessed with uh, weather. And while Europe is getting this heat wave, France in particular, we've just got this very muggy kind of weather. Yeah, it's kind of not fair, is it? No, it's it, not. It's, it's even when you're watching the TV forecast, and you, you, it's very difficult to have confidence in the TV forecast that they can't get the past <laughs> tense right. I was watching the news yesterday that said, We've had a glorious sunny day. And I said, where? I know. <laughs> I know, but then our, our John Paul is back with us today. He's been off for the last two weeks and he's staycationed. And he's come back with a big brown head on him and he hasn't been out of the country. And he That's was in various. Yeah, he was in various parts. Now, I know you need to look at the sun and he goes brown, but he was in various parts of the country and he said when he was, you know, when he was on to home, they were all, oh, it's miserable here. And he said there was other parts of the country with glorious sunshine. There must be like a sort of a, a cloud hanging over Cork that we just need to blow away. Well, we had a good enough summer now, but I was laughing, I must say, at the weather forecast last night, in particular when they said that. And they were referring to a bit of a cloud that would come over the west of the country. And if you looked at the the, the graphic behind the girl, it was 90% of the country was covered yeah. in cloud, except yeah. County Dublin. <laughs> a small part of the west coast. But anyway, anyway. Well, ever thus. OK, let's get yeah. straight into a lot of questions in. Tim and Fomoy says, I've got scented lilies. I was growing them in pots. If I take them out of the pots, how do I store them for the winter? Well, it's very simple. And if they've finished, first of all, make sure they finish flowering, obviously. But once they've finished flowering and let the foliage dry back, so let the green stem and the green leaves all die back because that'll put the, the nutrients back into the bulb for, for next year's flowers. Uh, and all you do once that has happened is you cut off the brown stem, wrap them in a bit of newspaper or a bit of dry straw, anything just to keep them um, dry and store them somewhere again dry and cool until planting out. And for summer flowering lilies, you'll be storing them probably as about January, I would say, January, February and you'll plant them out then again next January, February. Could you just leave them in the pots? You could, particularly if they're in a pot. Uh, a pot is better than the open ground because pots 
roots are well drained. So the problem with lilies, or the, the risk, not the problem, the risk with lilies is that they would get saturated over the winter. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a lazy gardener. I do leave mine out because they are in well-drained soil and they do come on year after year. But uh, I guess the textbook advice would be to take them up and store them and divide them if necessary, yeah. Okay, how do I, says a listener, could you ask Peter, how do you prune blackberries and what manure fertiliser do they like? I'm just trying to remember now, blackberries, blackberries you'd prune during the winter months, kind of November to February is when you would do it and you'd prune off this year's, you know when you do something and you you don't don't concentrate on what you're doing then you try and explain it, (laughs) I'm trying to remember now to break it down, so the fruits that have fruit, the stems that have fruited this year you remove completely uh, and any stems that have any stems that have emerged but haven't fruited this year you can leave on but but a lot of the, the growth that comes next year is what will produce next year's berries so you can cut them back as hard pretty hard really as hard as you want uh, in between November and February November and March uh, the best fertilizer they don't really need fertilizing but if you do want to fertilize them uh, I would use the nature safe which is the organic plant-based one it's a granular feed and feed and put a, put a fistful of that around the base of them in the spring uh, and do it do it monthly through the growing season. Okay, Geraldine has read Crocomias. Crocosmia. Crocosmia. Yeah. That's the Montbrisha, is it the red version? Yeah. It, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, could you ask, Peter, what conditions do I need for growing same? Well, the, the Crocosmia, as you say, it's a, it's a cultivated form of what we have as the wild Montbrisha. Uh, so anybody who has grown it will know, wow, it'll grow wherever you put it. Now, the, the red form, which is probably a variety called Lucifer, it uh, does like quite a lot of sunshine, so it'll grow pretty well anywhere. Give it, it doesn't like a waterlogged soil, so give it 90% of our soils, a good, good, uh, well-drained soil uh, in full sun and really let it off and it'll, it'll thrive. Easy enough to grow as well, and they're, and they're, oh, they're quite spectacular when they're in full flower. Stunning, yeah, stunning at the moment. Uh, they're quite a bit taller than the, the common orange one uh, and really dramatic. Yeah, they're dramatic gorgeous. Effect. Mike and Bantry, I had red geraniums growing in window boxes last year. At the end of the season, I simply threw them out. I'm now start, starting to think, should I pruned them back and kept them lightly watered over winter in a glass house? Yes, that's yeah. exactly what you should have done. Or, as I referred to the fact a minute ago, I'm a lazy gardener, I left mine out, even though I was advising <laughs> on the radio for people to take them yeah. in, I left mine out uh, and they were fine. So, you, like, we had And especially when Mike has a glass house. Well, if you have a glass house, yeah. absolutely you should, because not only are you saving money by not replacing them, but you'll also have much stronger plants next year because they're that year older. Uh, and many years, as I say, if our winters are mild, you can leave them out. But if you have the glass house, do bring them in, definitely, and you'll be guaranteed to get them through. OK, I love to see people planting wildflower seeds. So I love this kind of question coming in for Peter. I planted a packet of wildflower seeds. Some grass, docks and nettles have also come up. Do I pull them out? I would say no. It depends. It's, it's it's kind of personal choice because what is a nettle or a dock but a wild wildflower? Flower, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So, and and nettles in particular, both nettles and docks are, but particularly nettles, are, are very important for as a feeding plant for a lot of the butterflies. A lot of our butterflies will the larvae will feed on the nettle and. The, at caterpillar stage rather they feed in the nettle and also later when they have this time of the year when they are butterflies they'll feed on the the, the nectar of the, and the pollen of the, the nettle flower so they're very important from a biodiversity point of view I, I would be slow to take them out I'd be slow to remove them but perhaps control them so in other words if they become widespread if there's too many of them remove some of them 
Um, or if a clump gets too big in a, in a year or two's time, take it out or reduce the size of it. Uh, or perhaps where you put your wildflowers, you might have an area near a ditch and let them grow away there. Um, and maybe in, in the middle of the wildflower area, you may not want them and remove them from there. But no, I'd be slow to take them out completely. OK, because staying kind of on that theme, could you ask Peter, please, what are the best and nicest coloured flowers to set for bees in a little haggard of a quarter of an acre? Nothing that grows fierce high, please, uh, says D. I love the I love the exactness of the question, yeah. fierce high. What's fierce high? <laughs> <laughs> the great ones for flowering at the moment. I mean, I could spend obviously the, the the whole few hours talking about flowers for bees. But the best ones that are going to come in that are in flower at the moment are the purple loose strife, which is beautiful. You'll see it all around um, all around the country at the moment in hedgerows throughout the country. Purple loose strife and another one. Uh, so you, but you can get cultivated forms of that that don't go to the hedgerows of Ireland and start taking things out because number one, it's illegal, but number two, they're not going to transplant at this time of the year. So you'll end up just killing the plant. So please leave the hedgerows alone, but you will get cultivated forms of the loose strife. There's one called Robin, a variety called Robin, which is available in your garden centres. And that won't get quite as big. It won't get fair sign out. It'll still get to a couple of feet, but it won't get overly high. Uh, another one, which is in flower at the moment and will be for the next month or so, and it is just spectacular for bees and butterflies and it's a plant called agastache uh, it's a lovely now agastache you can get blue forms of it which is the one that's in my head blue forest which is a lovely one but you can also get orange forms of it uh, and different shades so there's different shades available but the agastache it's got a lovely kind of licorice scent as well it's a lovely plant but the bees will love it the purple loose strife and then actually what you'll find is the best if you really are concerned about planting for the bees a lot of what the best feeders, the best food producers for the bees, are not necessarily what we would regard as the most colourful. For example, ivy, the flowers off the ivy in late winter is important. Alder, things like that. A lot of our trees, which we tend not to think of as flowering, they're very important feeders for the bees too. But I'd say for the moment, the two I'd look at are purple loosestrife and agastache. Oh, and of course, rodbeckia is coming into flower at the moment. Okay, Sheila, Sheila's question will make you smile. Sheila says, I've got a rose bush that's been there for over 20 years. It's always had a pure lemon yellow flower on it. But this year, one bloom is speckled with pink. There's a bright pink rose bush nearby. Could they have done the bold thing when my back was turned, says Sheila? (laughs) (laughs) Who am I to say no? It is possible. It is possible, I suppose. And again, talking about the bees, birds and the bees, uh, it, it could well have hybridised in some way. I can't think of. Um, I can't think of any other explanation for it. It very possibly did uh, uh, cross pollinate, and you are maybe getting. Well, there there is another explanation, and that is um, that it plants do mutate, and that's how new varieties are formed. They do produce what's called a sport. So. Uh, you may have um, one that has mutated. You may have a, a plant with a sport, and that would lead to a whole new rose variety. That's, that's just one of nature's yeah. phenomena. But it could have, it could yeah. have cross pollinated. Keep an eye on it, Margaret in Ballyhooley. I'm growing white turnips, and when I cut them, when I cut them open yesterday, they were all brown on the inside. A few weeks ago, that hadn't happened. So it's only something that's happened in the last few weeks. What do you think has gone wrong? Uh, a fungal rot there, unfortunately. I'm afraid, and. There's really little, little nothing you can do at this stage just to harvest them and hope that they're not all infected. But it's caused by, well, the fungal infections are rife this year because it's very, very warm and humid and, and quite damp. So that's perfect 
conditions for the development of fungal infections. So poor drainage, all you can do really is looking towards next year. You can't save it for this year. Uh, so looking towards next year, improve the drainage, um, improve the, the lime content of the soil. A lot of these fungal problems won't tolerate lime, limey conditions, and also crop rotation. So move, move, don't grow them, don't grow the turnips in the same place this year, grow them in a different part of the garden. But it's really, you're looking at solutions for next year, I'm afraid. Okay, apple trees, says a listener, the leaves are going black and dead, but the apples seem to be coming on fine. I wonder, there's a couple of things I'd wonder there. Number one, if it's drought, so if they're growing, if they're newly planted, if they're only in the last year or two, uh, that could be causing it. Um, if they're growing in pots, they could have dried out, that could be causing it. And unfortunately, if the apples are coming on fine now, if drought is the problem, I'm not saying it is, but if drought is the problem, the apples may look fine now, but they will most likely fall before they, they ripen. So do pay attention to watering. Uh, hard to say then without seeing the leaves to, to give an accurate diagnosis, but there are fungal problems. It could be a sign of canker or something like that, but I don't wish to alarm. Um, you will see symptoms of canker this time of the year with leaves, uh, with holes in the leaf, with, with um, fissures in the bark, uh, which is obviously the bark fissures will be there 12 months of the year, but you'd see the symptoms with holes in the leaves and premature dieback, which just could be in the growing tips and on some of the leaves of an apple tree which is another symptom of canker but I don't want to alarm the listener because without seeing the overall mm. tree it's impossible to say. Okay. Uh, Maura was looking for advice. Maura says, Hi Peter, my grandson grew an orange plant from a seed. Uh, now how can I keep it alive? By the way, I'm not expecting oranges, says Maura. Right. I transplanted it yesterday into a bigger pot. It's a lovely thing to do with the grandson as well, isn't it's it? It's gorgeous. It's a lovely, lovely thing to do. And I would expect oranges. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, give it time. Um, the uh, sorry, and I'm just thinking. I was just thinking after I answered the question about the roses. To go back a step, it couldn't actually be the the, the cross pollinating because the cross pollinate. If they had cross pollinated, it would be a, the seedling of the rose that would send you up this different colour. Ah, the, the rose okay. itself. Okay. So it's it's most likely a sport. Sorry. So with the orange, okay. yeah, pot it into a bigger pot. Definitely, you could leave it outside at this time of the year if you wanted, uh, and it may be outside. That's fine. But certainly during the winter, and I would say, and this isn't somewhere where I'd be lazy like me with my geranium, certainly for the winter it would have to come in into a conservatory or glass house. And I suppose ideally it would be indoors all the time, unless we got a summer like last year. Um, so keep it indoors, keep repotting it about once a year, and who knows? Who, who's to say that in time you won't have um, <laughs> oranges. oranges? And let us yeah. know more. My apologies to Dennis, I misread. It was uh, blueberries he wanted to know about. That was the question, how how do you prune blueberries? Okay, well with blueberries, at the same time of the year actually, so it's November to kind of March you do it. And you're all, you're, you, never, you never cut back a blueberry plant completely, you never cut it all back, so you'd You'd cut back about a third or a half of the of the growth. So again, a lot of this year's growth that has produced the berries that's getting woody and less productive, that'll be removed. But the stems that haven't produced yet and that look more green and pliant, you you leave them on it completely and don't cut them back at all. It, it's it's quite straightforward. It's uh, about fifty percent, up to fifty percent of the plant, fifty percent or less of the plant is what you remove uh, and and uh, leave the green green shoots which haven't haven't rooted this year. Uh, and do it November to March. Lorraine is in Glengariff. Could you ask Peter why my cuttings of the black stem blue hydrangeas never grow? The white ones are never a problem. It's one of these things. The black stem hydrangeas, they, they, they're they a relatively new introduction. They're only about the last 10 or 12 years. Um, when she's saying the white hydrangeas, I, I wonder if she mean the black stemmed white hydrangeas. It's not a question I can really answer. They are 
they are less, uh, what's the word, less successful from, from cutting. Uh, I don't have an answer for her. I don't know exactly why. Um, but it's commercially, you would expect a strike rate of maybe about 60%. So if, if you're taking 100 cuttings, you'd expect 60 of them. So they're just that bit more difficult, providing she's doing it exactly the same way as she is her white ones. There, there isn't an answer I can give her, except that they are that much more unsuccessful or difficult. But the important thing is cut them at a node, which is where the leaf meets the stem. So the node should be the base of your cutting because that's where the, the hormones for rooting, the auxins, will be into a bit of rooting powder. Cutting about about four inches in length to leave one set of leaves at the very top of the cutting uh, into your rooting powder and into compost. If that's the way you've been trying it and it's not working, you could also try doing it with a hardwood cutting, which is later in the year. Agrangias will also go quite successfully from hardwood cutting. So you do that, you would do that kind of in January of the year. You would take about a 10-inch cutting. Again, the base of your cutting is on a node. You won't have leaves at that time of the year, obviously, so you're just looking for the leaf buds. That's the base of the cutting. Equally, the top of the, the 8 or 10 inches is also a node, uh, and it's a, a dormant leaf bud. The, you, you can plunge them in the soil. They'll take up to 12 months to root, but you will have stronger plants quicker from a hardwood cutting. Um, about 8 inches outside... Yeah, and hope for the best. I'm afraid okay. I don't have an exact answer for her. And thank you to somebody who sent in gorgeous uh, photographs of the, the Cocosimos, the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Cocosmia. Cocosmia. Yeah. I didn't know what they were called until I just heard you speak to Peter about them. A lovely lady at the end of our road gave me some of these a few years ago and look at them now and they're just in full bloom. They're absolutely glorious. Thank you for that. Hi, uh, Peter, this is from Barry. When feeding roses, can you put granular feed down on bark mulch or will it burn the base of the rose plant? No, that's fine. You can use the granular one. Just that, That's fine. It, 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 the granular ones will work uh, with moisture. But they'll seep in, though they won't. They won't burn it. But uh, what I would say is just the important thing to remember when you're when you're feeding roses that is that you use not just any old plant food that you have lying in the shed. Roses are quite specific, so do go with a good quality rose food. Like I find the Goulding's rose food is a very very good one, or else the Nature Safe that I was talking about earlier that's also a very good one for roses. So just you can use granular or liquid, but just make sure that you're using the right one for roses. Okay, and the listener says, does Peter know of a creeping flower nicknamed fried eggs? I do, the fried egg plant. Where, where egg can plant. you plant these? It's a bright yellow, bright yellow and white flower. Where can you get it or where can you plant Where can you plant these? You when, plant sorry, when can you oh, plant sorry. these? Oh, well, sorry. If you're growing them from seed, you would start them off indoors, kind of early in the year, February, March, indoors, moving them out then, let's say, kind of April, May. Um, or you could sow them directly outside during April and May. You don't often, if ever, see them in plant form in garden centres, being honest with you. But if you know somebody who's growing some, they'll have no problem at all because it's a very vigorous, to the point of being an invasive plant. Uh, but it's a lovely little fella. Um, but if somebody is growing some, they'll be only too happy, I've no doubt, to, to let you take a trowel in and, and take a clump up and bring it away with you. But you would do that during the winter months. OK, all right, uh, that's where we wrap it up. You were saying last week, were you heading off to Wick- is the garden fe- show I'm, in Wicklow, isn't it? I'm not heading up to it, no. but there is the RHSI, the Royal Horticulture Society of Ireland, are having their annual garden show in Rossborough House in County Wicklow this Sunday, which will be a great day out. And if I may take a moment to thank... Uh, I, I got a lovely treat last week from uh, Hannah May O'Connell, who I had been speaking to on the phone uh, the week previous, just she was just looking for some advice with the, the garden, and uh, of course I answered her to the best of my ability. But she she sent me a very kind gift last. Week, so just to say <laughs> it thank arrived you very much into us here at work. It made me smile when I saw it as well. It said people are so kind. 
very kind yeah. and very thoughtful and much well, appreciated well, Hannah well done Hannah May thank you for that this is the have a great week we'll talk to you next week Thanks for that. Bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowd of the Irish uh, back with us next week when we were talking about the refunds from Irish Water. A listener says Irish Water could keep all that money and use it to fix the leaks. It's only a little over five million. I don't know how many leaks, but yes, I accept the point. Some of the leaks could uh, certainly be fixed. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara back with us answering all your calls and queries throughout the morning. Thank you to everybody who took time out to contact us today. To Tomorrow, of course, on this lot, we will have uh, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, answering your pet questions. So we'll be looking for your pet questions throughout the morning uh, to tomorrow morning. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I'm back with you tomorrow at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.